nothing. This man was still looking down at me. I could feel the blood rising in my face, turning me crimson, as he smiled a perfect set of pure, blinding white teeth. The inside of his mouth was pink, and his face was coming closer and closer to mine. He could have swallowed me up, this big nigger man. But instead, he said in clear English, Perhaps we could shake hands instead. Graham's smile fell off his face, and I shook an African man's hand. It was warm and slightly sweaty, like anyone else's, and he bowed his head to me and said, It's nice to meet you. Father said later that this African man I was made to shake hands with would have been a chief or a prince in Africa. Evidently, when they speak English, you know that they have learnt to be civilised, taught English by the white man. Missionaries, probably. To take my mind off the encounter, Father promised me a trip on the scenic railway. Come on, we'll be able to see for miles up there. We went up and up into the heavens until people were just dots below us. As we hung right at the top, the twinkling electric lights below mingling with the stars, Father said something I will never forget. He said, See here, Queenie. Look around. You've got the whole world at your feet, lass. It brought it all back to me. Celia Langley. Celia Langley standing in front of me, her hands on her hips and her head in a cloud. And she is saying, Oh, Hortense, when I am older, all her dreaming began with, When I am older, when I am older, Hortense, I will be leaving Jamaica and I will be going to live in England. I said nothing at the time. I just nodded and said, You surely will, Celia Langley, you surely will. I did not dare to dream that it would one day be I who would go to England. It would one day be I who would sail on a ship as big as a world and feel the sun's heat on my face gradually change from roasting to caressing. But there was I, standing at the door of a house in London and ringing the bell. I pushed the doorbell again when it was obvious no one was answering my call, I held my thumb against it and pressed my ear to the window. A light came on now, and a woman's voice started calling. All right, all right, I'm coming. Give us a minute. The door was answered by an Englishwoman, a blonde-haired, pink-cheeked Englishwoman with eyes so blue they were the brightest thing in the street. Is this the household of Mr Gilbert Joseph? I beg your pardon? Gilbert Joseph, I said a little slower. Oh, Gilbert, who are you? Mr. Gilbert Joseph is my husband. I am his wife. The woman's face looked puzzled and pleased all at one time. She looked back into the house, lifting her head as she did. Then she turned to me and said, Didn't he come to meet you? I have not seen Gilbert, I told her. But this is perchance where he is aboding. 
At which this Englishwoman said, What? She frowned and looked over my shoulder at the trunk, which was resting by the curbside where it had been placed by the driver of the taxi vehicle. Is that yours? It is. It's the size of the Isle of Wight. She laughed a little. I laughed too, so as to not give her the notion that I did not know what she was talking about as regards this white island. I came in a taxi cab and the driver assured me that this was the right address. Is this the house of Gilbert Joseph? The woman stood for a little while before answering by saying, Hang on here. I'll see if he's in his room. She then shut the door in my face. In Gilbert Joseph's last letter, he had made me a promise that he would be there to meet me when my ship arrived at the dockside in England. I will be there, he wrote. You will see me waving my hand with joy at my young bride, coming at last to England. I will be jumping up and down and calling out your name with longing in my tone. He was not there. There was no one who would have fitted his description. The only jumping and waving that was done was by the Jamaicans arriving and leaving the ship. Women who shivered in their church best clothes, their cotton dresses with floppy bows and lace, their hats and white gloves looking gaudy against the grey of the night. Men in suits and bow ties and smart hats. Black men in dark, scruffy coats with hand-knitted scarves hunched over in the cold. As my feet had set down on the soil of England, an Englishwoman approached me. Are you sugar? she asked me. No, I am Hortense. She tutted, as if this information was in some way annoying to her. Have you seen sugar? She's one of you. She's coming to be my nanny. You must know her. Sugar? Sugar. I thought I must try saying sugar with those vowels that make the word go on forever. Very English. Sugar. It was two hours I waited for Gilbert. Two hours watching people hugging up, lost relations and friends, laughing, wiping handkerchiefs over, tearful eyes. There was a white man working, pushing a trolley, sometimes empty, sometimes full. He whistled as he passed, a tune that made his head nod. I attracted his attention by raising my hand. Excuse me, sir, I am needing to get to Navern Street. Would you by chance know where it is? This white man scratched his head and picked his left nostril before saying, I can't take you all the way on me trolley, love. You should get a taxi. This is the place you want, dear, said my driver. 21 Nevin Street. Just go and ring the bell. You know about bells and knockers. You got them where you come from. He left my trunk by the side of the road. I'm sure someone inside will help you with this, dear. Just ring the bell. I did not see what now came through the door. It came through so fast. Hortense, you're here. You're here at last, Hortense. I folded my arms, sat on my trunk and averted my eye. He stopped in front of me, his arms still open, wide, ready for me to run into. Don't Hortense me, Gilbert Joseph. 
He was breathless as he began. Hortense, let me tell you, I come to the dock, but there was no ship, so they tell me to come back later when the ship will arrive. So I go home and take the opportunity of fixing the place up nice for when you come. So I was just going to go to the dock again, but then here you are. The Englishwoman was still looking at me when I entered the hallway, perusing me in a fashion as if I was not there to see her stares. I nodded to her and said, Thank you for all your help with finding my husband. I could hear Gilbert dragging at my trunk. We both stood listening to him, huffing and puffing like a broken steam train. Then he ran to the door saying, Hortense, what you have in that trunk? Your mother? I hope you're not bringing anything into the house that will smell, said the Englishwoman. But Gilbert caught my elbow. Come, Hortense, he said, as if the woman had not uttered a word. Come, let me show you around. I followed him up the first stairs and heard the woman call. What about that trunk, Gilbert? You can't leave it where it is. Gilbert looked over my shoulder to answer her, smiling. Don't worry, Queenie. Soon come, na man. We went into the room. Gilbert rushed to pull a blanket over the unmade bed, still warm, I was sure. He waved his arms around as if showing me a lovely view. This is the room. All I saw were dark brown walls, a broken chair that rested one uneven leg on the Holy Bible. Well, show me the rest then, Gilbert. The man just stared. The other rooms, Gilbert? The ones you busy making so nice for me you forget to come to the dock. This is it, Hortense. This.